Hello and welcome to the seven something, seven minutes podcast starring me, your hero, <laughs> Zach, and on my left and right, as usual, two other people. Hello, Angela. Robert. Zach here thinks he's the voice of reason. Yeah, the voice of reason who called himself the hero and couldn't get the name of the podcast right. It sounds about right for our little production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Welcome to episode two of season two in 2022. Just two's all over the place, right? We should have recorded this on the second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Too bad. Um, today's topic is going to be the maybe most on the nose seven minutes topic we've done. All about 90s licensed games. <laughs> but before we dig into that, as usual, what we've been playing. Well, um, I was... Really excited for Pokemon Legends of Arceus, and I've been playing that um, a lot when I'm not working too late. Um, <laughs> but it's a it's a really great game. You know, I've been buying every um, iteration of Pokemon. You know, every time the new generation comes out, I buy both both copies. But um, ever since I don't know, maybe like. I think Diamond and Pearl, the original releases of Diamond and Pearl, is maybe the last time that I really kind of enthusiastically played um, a, a Pokemon game pretty far through. Um, and then, like, I would just start them and then not really finish them. Um, I just feel like the Pokemon were just getting kind of more ridiculous in the way that they looked, and it just was kind of not really engaging me. But Like a um, three-headed toaster salamander, just, like, <laughs> increasingly ridiculous concepts. Yeah, and I know I've mentioned it in previous podcasts, but, like, the bag of trash and the set of keys. And I was just like, okay, this is whatever. I know I'd play a little and then just never finish. It just seemed, like, lacking inspiration or increasingly desperate. Yeah. Like, the kind of things you're struggling. Like, the what's the guy's name? Sugimori? Yeah. Like, if he'd been taking a shower and just been like, a shampoo Pokemon. Perfect. <laughs> just like getting ready for work. Yeah. There's my keys. Um, and so much more. So, but then, you know, Legends of Arceus um, got announced and, and the trailer looked amazing and the subsequent trailers look pretty cool. And um, it's actually exceeded my expectations. Um, not that I, I thought anything bad was going to come of it. I just thought that it was really great um, the moment I started playing it. Um I think that the mechanics are really smooth. Uh, I really actually enjoy, um, you know, the the way that you aim and then throw a Pokeball, how easy it is to switch between throwing Pokeballs versus, like, empty ones versus throwing a, a Pokeball with Pokemon in it to battle. Oh, do they, they arc differently? No. Um, so with the lower level Pokemon, you can just throw a Pokeball at them and... For the most part, they will just get captured. I see. Sometimes, though... Um, yeah, I saw you accidentally pick a fight with, like, a level 40 Rapidash. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was that that strong. Um, and for context, my Pokemon are only, like, level 9 right now, level 8. So that was really dangerous. And also, it's interesting, you know, the level of fear, like, the genuine level of fear uh, that comes out of... The genuine level of fear that uh really 
builds because like, you know, your Pokemon are weak. Um, before you even go out in the field, like the, um, the town, the townspeople and the researchers are, they're genuinely afraid of the Pokemon. They talk about how they, they built the village to protect themselves from them. Um, they, uh, some people have actually been injured by Pokemon and their abilities. So when you go out into the field, um, you know, like when I encountered that Rapidash and it was a level 50, I was genuinely like not afraid as in real life afraid, but I was afraid that I was not going to get away. Um, so that was, that's really cool and an unusual kind of feeling in a Pokemon game, I think. Are there Pokemon, obviously I don't have as much of a history with the series as either of you do, but, um, like every fight I remember getting into in the Pokemon game I played, Pokemon Yellow, mm -hmm. it, like it's actually a trainer you're fighting. And then like the Pokemon you're fighting are, are like, they, they're bringing them out. Am I, no, I'm misremembering that. I'm completely misremembering that. That's like kind of like the staged battles, but there are random encounters with individual Pokemon, right? Right, the wild yeah. Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah, so I also had purposely not really looked up much about Arceus after after it was announced because mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to just kind of go in and see what it was going to be like without having too many um, preconceived ideas or expectations. Um, so I actually didn't know that there was going to be traditional Pokemon battling as well. Um, and that feels feels totally fine, um, plays very well. And I also think the animations of the Pokemon attacking are really neat too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been happy with it. Um, does it feel at all like Breath of the Wild? Because it made me think of Breath of the Wild when I saw it. It does. Um, there are even some sound effects that are very Breath of the Wild. Some, um, uh, what are they called? Just like like pop some of the menu screens uh, um, and uh, what is it called again? Your your HUD. Uh, some of the things on the HUD um, look like they're designed like Breath of the Wild. So. Yeah, uh, and then the um, the first field that you you're kind of let go, left to your own devices to go actually really mm -hmm. try and, and capture Pokemon and stuff like that. Um, the music is similar to where like Breath of the Wild, there are stretches when you're in the overworld and there's no music, and then some like little subtle piece of music will start. It's like that in Arceus as well. Um, there are like a couple different tunes that will play. Um, it's not as like kind of pin drop quiet and silent as Breath of the Wild, but it's close. Uh, it's clear that they took they took cues from Breath of the Wild um, for some of their design aesthetics. The, the visual cues for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you started playing this, I asked you, uh, I took it as a foregone conclusion the Kanto and Johto games, Gen 1 and Gen 2, would forever be your favorites. Yes. But that I was <laughs> hopeful that maybe this would be third behind those. Yeah, um, I think it might be. You know, I think back to the um, the RPGs that were on the GameCube. Um, you mean the Pokemon RPGs? Or? Yeah, Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness, and I think there was another, another RPG, but... Um, it was Colosseum. Yeah, okay, maybe maybe not that one, but Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness was mm -hmm. it was an RPG, and I remember I, I played a fair amount of that game. I never beat it, but I remember having a lot of fun with it. Um, but my guess is that even if I went back and played that now, I probably still wouldn't like it as much as, as Arceus, so I do think it's safe to say that um, 
Arceus is uh, my favorite Pokemon game behind mm-hmm. Gens 1 and 2. Even like all the other spinoffs like Pokemon Coliseum or Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Coliseum, um, uh, uh, <laughs> Pokemon Channel, you know, all the like random Pokemon spinoff games, even considering those. Hey, you Pikachu. <laughs> hey, you Pikachu. Yeah, stuff like that. I think those were the only two RPGs on the GameCube, though, actually, for Pokemon. It was, Col- it was Stadium and it was XD. Yeah. Uh, wait. <laughs> Stadium or Coliseum? Because I think you said Coliseum. Uh, Coliseum. Yeah. So Pokemon. Well, yeah. I mean, Coliseum's I, the one where the guy has that kind of weird arm. I think. Yeah. Or arm covering. I mean, I didn't disagree with you. I, I said Pokemon Gale XD Gale of Darkness, and you said Coliseum. Mm. Or yeah. So. Um, but anyway. Uh, yeah. So I think Arceus is my. Um, cool. Well, I hope my it, favorite. Hope it holds up. Yeah. I mean, you know. Nothing will be able to uh, top um, Gen 1 as my all-time favorite. But, yeah. But, but Ar- Ar- still, like, I think Arceus also has a really neat um, assortment of Pokemon. Because uh, I can't remember what outlet I was reading, but they were talking about the the full Pokedex of, of Pokemon that appeared in the game. And I was reading through a lot of them, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, Are there any new ones? Or is it all just like a... I think I think I read that there are like a uh, now that's what I call Pokemon compilation. <laughs> I think I read that there are like two new Pokemon <laughs> that are debuting in this game, something like that. But um, yeah, I think that's what I read. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I just you know thinking back to when we did um, uh, way back when we did the Pokemon episode, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was I would say some negativity or disappointment from you in like the direction the series had gone and your kind of uh estrangement from it mm-hmm. um so hopefully you get some of some of that back maybe yeah i mean I-, I was even thinking about that myself while i was playing how it actually it, it kind of excited me that i had this this level of enthusiasm for this game um for the first time in a very long time um, I mean, not only was I looking forward to it, but then I fire it up and it's even better than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, anything else you've been playing? I, I think that maybe pretty much covers it. That pretty much covers it. You know, I've been playing a lot of Mario Kart Tour. Uh, I got back into Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Of course, I'm playing New Horizons a little bit every... I, I'm not playing every day. Now I'm playing like a couple times a week, but... Um, for New Horizons. Mm-hmm. I got back into Pocket Camp a little bit and now Pocket Camp has this um has this like planner feature that is almost entirely behind a paywall. It's kind of disappointing. Mm. Um I had no idea that this planner feature was even coming. I started up the game and I'm like, what is this weird start screen? What what is this book I'm looking at? <laughs> yeah, for a um, dollar a month you can expand its customization and I think you also get some seasonal items that you won't get unless you're spending the dollar a month and all that good stuff yeah and you can buy sticker packs to like put into your planner and there's like a sticker component and um i don't know it it didn't it really didn't excite me at all i'm just i'm in no mood to convince you to spend this money (laughs) but i was expecting a much higher dollar figure than one a month yeah i mean i'll give it that much at least it's only an extra buck but yeah you know i mean i I don't really feel enthusiastic enough about the future to pay for it at all but sure uh you know i'm still just kind of playing a little bit of that every now and then but mario kart tour i've been really into um it it really just kind of keeps I don't know if I'd say it's getting better and better. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's, um, it's you, you're getting better and better. (laughs) 
I mean, as as you level up and you become more competitive, the game is way more enjoyable. Um, I can get a little too into it. I think sometimes, like you just kind of have to accept you're not gonna you're not gonna win every ranked tournament every week, or even wind up in the top three. But um, it's really fun. And now that nine is confirmed to be in development, uh, I do hope. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm worried that some of the gotcha mechanics are, are going to make their way in. Um, the thing I do hope makes its way into nine from tour uh, are the characters. So like there are just a ton of different versions of different characters, you know, the different like Ninja Shy Guy or Explorer Peach or Baseball Mario or just all these these different things like costumes they're wearing. I wouldn't be surprised if even if they didn't do gotcha stuff and Nintendo took like a live service approach to adding new characters. Yeah. Right. Cause then they get like Polygon and IGN write an article about Mario Kart nine every month or whenever, mm-hmm. when, when the new like baseball Mario gets added to it. Yeah. Know? Which is funny. Cause, um, is it baseball? No golf, Mario and Luigi and charging Chuck are coming next week for the second Los Angeles tour. Uh, but that's those are the other other characters that I'd I'd like to, to see them bring in. Like they have um what's his name? Monty Mole um is a character that's not in the other ones, but he's he's a playable driver. Mm-hmm. Um looks so like Monty Mole, um uh, Pauline. Uh I think basically if you've made it into a Mario Party game, you might as well be in <laughs> yeah. Mario Kart. And like some ridiculous characters in there like yeah, you know, like King Babom. Um what's his name? Funky Kong's in it. Dixie's in it. Um, Diddy's no. Diddy's usually in it. I think usually in. in he's other. not in uh, eight, I believe. Yeah, he's not in eight, but he is in tour. But you know these these random um, characters that they've added into tour that would be neat to see in nine. Diddy's still being punished for the time he tried to spin off with his own <laughs> racing game. Yeah, <laughs> I remember really enjoying uh, Mario Kart Tour for the first like month or two but i remember i had gotten first in in whatever the weekly tournament thing they would do um i had done it two weeks in a row and then the third week like i could just feel the game ratcheted up and it felt incredibly unnatural like the level of competition and i can't remember if i ended up getting first again that third week but by the fourth week all of a sudden, I was getting like insanely outstripped by whoever it was I was, you know, competing against, and I was just like, "This feels just so rigged," and it totally turned me off, and I haven't played it since. Is it not like a kind of like a battle rank kind of mechanic where, like, the because you were doing well, you were getting pulled with better players? That might have been it. I don't know. That's, that's what happens. Yeah, um, this was early on, and I just didn't want to do it. And then, you like, were just that dominant. There's like, we got to keep no, give them harder and harder players. <laughs> It's not like the reward was that great anyway, but... That's one of um, the primary complaints about the game is that the rewards are not very good. Um, especially, too, like, I pay for the, the gold pass. Um, sorry, Zach. I pay for the gold pass every month. And you get some odd number of rubies, and it's a really small number of rubies, too. Um, and you get one free gold pipe pool. Um, and, you know, you'll get whatever random premium... Um, either driver cart or glider. So now that I've heard you both lament the gotcha mechanics and uh, look down your nose at a $1 a month charge uh-huh. for Animal Crossing, <laughs> pray tell, how much does the gold pass cost? 
I it's five I bucks, think, is it? Um, no, I, I thought it was fourteen ninety nine. Maybe I'm no, wrong. No, not that much a month. Let me see. But uh, oh, I will check while we're talking. <laughs> I I don't know. I still have a problem with these these sorts of games where you're accumulating all this content that eventually will be taken away, unless they give you some kind of offline version of it. But like, you know, all the cute little characters, all the neat carts, all that stuff. In this game is tethered to this, you know, this tenuous online connection where the second it stops being profitable, they shut it down. And we've seen it. It's not unprecedented with, you know, there's been plenty of these Pokemon mobile games that have been shut down and everything that you've built up is gone. Um, I think Marvel's latest online game failed the contest of champions or some crap like that. That's getting shut down like a year in. Um... Yeah, mobile games really come and go like that. Mm-hmm. Ro- Ro- Robert is correct. The gold pass is four ninety nine. Yeah. You can rest easy, Zach. I'm only resting so easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's sixty dollars a year right there. Yeah. It's like a dollar an hour. <laughs> um, I can't. I don't know. It, 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 like, I can see the argument of like, well, you're just you're enjoying the experience. It's like, yeah, but like, it's not like it's a trip to Disneyland. I mean, I'm playing this game. I'd like to continue playing it, and I'm spending real money on these characters in one capacity or another, and eventually it will just go. Like, that really irks me. Back in my day, we weren't complaining about rewards, right? The game was the reward, (laughs) thank you very much. If you needed more than that, it was that you got to see the next stage and maybe the credits. It's ironic, actually, that we're talking about Mario Kart Tour because we're in the first... We just finished the first week of in-person instruction in my game design class, and... We were talking about core game loops, and uh, then the topic of like microtransactions came up, and I mentioned Mario Kart Tour to my students, <laughs> and I gave them the story of uh, uh, obsessively trying to get Shy Guy mm-hmm. and just blowing all this money on the uh, the pool mechanic mm-hmm. where you got like these gems, and the thing is, is that it's you know it it's a, a loot box basically, mm-hmm. and you have no clue what's going to come in it. And there's no guarantees. And so I had blown through an entire pack of the gems, didn't get whatever Shy Guy it was, um, did it again, failed, did a slightly lower costing pack, and got it. And it was super expensive for that one Shy Guy. And then I think there's been three or four ever since, and it's mm-hmm. just, no thank you, like, I'm good. Yeah, there's been... <laughs> but a dollar a month for this Animal Crossing game, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> well, for me, it's just because the Animal Crossing feature doesn't really seem to do much plus in order to really truly unlock the full capabilities of the planner you also have to have subscriptions to um the two other member subscription packs that you can get Mm -hmm. and i don't want to pay that i i pay for the um uh i forget which membership it is but it's just the one whatever it's like the most basic one Uh, and you get like 60 um leaf tickets every month you know, as part of your subscription bonus, but that's, that's all that I do. And then I have, um, I have a, a villager following me around and when I'm not playing the villager, um, takes care of animal requests. And so you get like items and, and stuff once you boot it up and you talk to them. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm, I don't, I don't want to pay for the other ones. Sure. Um, well, I'm just going to say, cause I've heard you both fret that Mario Kart nine might include some of the more unsavory <laughs> mechanics from Mario Kart tour and yet, if I asked you, what Mario Kart game have you spent the most money on? <laughs> what do you think Nintendo's paying attention to? I, 
Well, I know that I, I've paid more for tour than I have for the DLC for... Robert, what have you been playing? <laughs> so, what have I been playing? Well, uh, I, had to deci- I decided to go very basic and have been playing Wordle. I couldn't resist. I was very curious about it, so I, I went into the iTunes uh, apps, or whatever, I went into the Apple's app store to look for it, found a fake Wordle, which actually wasn't very bad, but uh, I knew it wasn't the Wordle. So then I figured out, it's, so for those of you who care and have been wondering, um, it, it's not an app. It's a website. And uh, I'm not sure, I haven't like actually seen if you can log in and if it tracks you properly, but I've just been like refreshing the page every day. So once a day, you go in and it's, you're just guessing the word of the day. And is it always five uh, five characters, Zach? Or always five always characters. Five. You always have six guesses. Okay. And then oh, what it I, does... I thought it was five guesses. I thought it was six guesses. I think it's six. Mm. But regardless, it, uh, it has an interesting setup where you have the five squares where each of your characters goes. And uh, green tells you you've selected the correct letter in the correct spot. Yellow is the correct letter in the wrong spot. And then gray means that that letter isn't in the puzzle at all. It's fun. I like that it's once a day. Um, I feel like it is... It, it's like forcing patience on you, which to me is only a good thing in this day and age, where it's like, hey, you, you got the word of the day. You don't pay to make it give you another word. You just have to wait until however many hours go by. And uh, I appreciate that of, uh, that aspect of it. Um, I, think it's, I think it's well made. The, the interface works really well, especially considering it's just a web page and not a dedicated app. Um, I was actually just talking to Zach about this before we were recording. Um, I feel like if you get it in one guess, like, that's cool, but like you clearly just guessed. You, there was nothing hinting what it could have been. So I think that if you can get it around two or three, that that's pretty good, pretty good because at that point you've gotten hints and you've figured out, okay... It can only end so many ways if it's with the letter whatever, and like you have to kind of detective your way through it. So I think Wordle's pretty cool. Well, it's still mm-hmm. luck, right? Uh, yeah, more or less. Like but you if can all you know good. is there's like an N in the second to last position, and these four letters don't occur, there are going to be any number of words that match that. So if you get it in two guesses, it's still just just luck. Uh, I wouldn't say it's just luck. You have to make a pretty educated guess if you're really trying to solve it within the. The limit, because like if it is, if it does have a certain combo of letters, and depending on where the letters are placed, there's only so many words you can get sometimes. Right, you can only guess a valid word. So it takes skill to think of a valid word, but mm-hmm. among the pool of valid words, it's strictly luck, right? Well, yeah, but still, it's not an educated guess. Well, no, it is if you have if if, no. if it's placed some of the letters into the field, there are only certain words you can put in there. And yes, you have to kind of guess which ones it could be, but like I'm looking if, I'm looking at what I did today. Mm-hmm. And this is how I always play it. I write out all all the letters. I write the vowels out together. Uh, make my first guess and then I start crossing out, you know, each letter that doesn't that isn't in, in the word, circling the ones that are. And then um I start like <laughs> kind of hard to describe and i'm right i like there are like five little dashes here um and then i start figuring out like okay like in today's word for example the e can only go in these three spots the a can only go in these three spots the t i guessed early on was at the end so i knew okay that's gonna go so then i had all these different versions of potential words and um 
you know, I went with, okay, well, there's a version of the word that ends with E-A-T in that order. So then I guessed another word, um, and I guessed bleat with a B. The B was not it, but the L, the L, the L-E-A-T, those were all in in the right spots. So I knew, okay, there's only so many words that end with leet and then, you know, mm-hmm. go with whatever. So I guessed pleat and that, and that was it. So. No, I get it. There's just bump rails because you can't put in an invalid guess. And yeah. so like, it's completely luck whether you guessed pleat or bleat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That part of it is. But I think that once you've gotten, like the, like I said, the first Guess is a guess. Like, there's no way to know what it could be outside of it has five letters. But once you get into the second one, unless you got nothing but gray (laughs) on that first one, by the second one, you probably have a yellow and maybe a green. And then you just start thinking, where is it going to go? You know, and by the time you've gotten to the second guess, and then you have a couple more, maybe yellows and greens, then you do start getting more strategic about, well, what work could it possibly be? And uh, I disagree. It gets less strategic as you go. Like you, when, when it's a blank slate, you can think about you're thinking about like ruling out letters. Right. And that remains a concern throughout the time you're playing. But as you go, the space of what you can guess gets more constrained. Right. Yeah. But that's because of what your guess. In other words, it's getting simpler on subsequent rounds, not more difficult. Well, simpler by your efforts, though. Yes, the efforts that you spent on the earlier, harder rounds. Mm, I'm not sure I'm following you exactly. Because, okay. like, you, you, you have to figure these... I mean, you're, you're, you're not just completely randomly guessing by the time you've started to fill in spaces. Because then you know, hey, there needs to be an L in the middle. Or it ends with an S. Whereas the earlier ones, you can just kind of guess whatever you want. Right. So like you're working from a smaller dictionary, the more you have, more information you have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that maybe you're going to be stuck trying to think of valid words, but you're going to have a, like fewer decisions to make in terms of how many or like a smaller decision to make in terms of what would be a valid word. The first word you choose is wide open. It can be anything. And it sets up, depending on how that goes, what the subsequent guesses can be. Right. Or what you might want to do on subsequent guesses. One thing I'll do when I'm playing is uh, even if I know a certain letter has been uh, eliminated as a possibility, if I just can't think of a certain word, like for the next one, mm-hmm. even if I have to reuse a letter that I know is rejected, mm-hmm. I'm like, it doesn't matter because if it brings up other letters, it'll give me a better idea and then I can kind of go from there. Yeah. So far, I have... I had told Zach earlier, I think I got to the last guess once where I barely squeaked it out. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I've been averaging two to three guesses per. And uh, yeah, I just think it's really fun. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when we dedicate that much time to Wordle, it's cool. Give it a look until the New York Times ruins it. And then what else have I been playing? I haven't really done any of the Call of Duty multiplayer in a little bit. I've been too busy. Uh, the, The game design stuff has taken over my time. I do, however, have sitting next to me in my bag a copy of Shenmue 1 and 2 for PlayStation 4. Uh, I told Angela and Zach that I've been wanting to play that game for like 20 years. When did, when did Shenmue come out? Was it like 2002 or something? The first one was on Dreamcast, so it couldn't have been any later than 2002. 
Okay, so it might Dreamcast be, was discontinued in 2002. So it might be like even maybe 2000. I don't think it was I the first think, year, right? I think even Shenmue 2 came out on Dreamcast, but not in America, if I'm remembering correctly. It was something like that. Mm, okay. But yeah, I've, I've wanted to play those games forever. I remember seeing... Because like when the Dreamcast was coming out, it was a big deal. And like the previews of uh, Sonic Adventure... Oh man, like that thing looked incredible. And I agree that it looked really cool. Like the the ambition represented by that game and some other stuff from that era like uh Deus Ex, right, was just like kind of seemed like it was blowing the doors off of what a video game could do. But I have lost all interest in playing Shenmue as the years have gone on. <laughs> well, I think probably if you're comparing it, like it's probably lesser Yakuza at this point. But um, I don't know. Like my, you know, I like to read a lot about games and, and different opinions and stuff. And one of the things I've seen come up a few times about Shenmue is that it's sort of sedentary, 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 sedentary pace. Uh, is intentional and that you either kind of like it and appreciate it or you don't. And I have come to find that I can like something that's super like bombastic and over the top, like a one piece kind of storytelling situation. And then I like stuff that's dry. Like I read the old man in the sea and had a very good time. Um, so I figure I'll probably have fun with Shenmue just cause it's this nice big sandbox and there's a ton of stuff to do. And I'm, I am going to be thinking of the Dreamcast itself and how at the time this was like probably pretty revolutionary in terms of all the content. So even though I had a Dreamcast at the time, like Shenmue was not one I ever made time for. I remember being really excited by the Dreamcast library and kind of the wacky stuff, you know, Space Channel 5 and Crazy Taxi and uh, Samba de Amigo and all kinds of stuff like that. Choo Choo Rocket. But I never made time for Shenmue. And I think I think the time has just gone by. Um, but I hope you enjoy it. We uh, shall discuss it next time. Yeah, we'll see about podcast. that. We'll see about that. <laughs> Zach, what have you been playing? Uh, all right. So I I previously mentioned last time we recorded that I had been playing through Record of Lotus War, Deedlet and Wonder Labyrinth. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> it was good. I finished it. Um I don't think much happened late in the game to really change my opinion of it. I, I think like the previous game from Ladybug, uh, the Toho Luna Nights, that it was uh, not super interesting in terms of the exploration as a Metroidvania, but it had a lot of good boss fights and enough mechanical complexity that I found it uh, fun to play the whole way through. Setting that aside... I have also been playing more of the Final Fantasy ROM hack that I had mentioned, Restored and Rebalanced. And most of the way through that, I finished off uh, what I think are the like kind of in-game bonus dungeons that were added in the hack. So I think what I have left is to go have a rematch with the last boss. However, I'm missing some equipment that was listed in the readme. So I'm trying to decide if I want to spend time going back through the dungeon, looking through nooks and crannies to see if I can find the Sage's Staff and the Ragnarok Sword and blah, blah, blah. I may not. I'm not sure. Most of what I've been playing since we last recorded, though, has been Halo Infinite. I am, I think, I'm going to avoid spoilers because, Robert, I think you've gotten 
nowhere in the game still. <laughs> and I actually I don't care if you spoil it a little bit. And I also have reason to believe that we have at least one listener who is also not all that far <laughs> in, okay. in Halo Infinite. And the game has only been out for a couple months, so no, I'm not gonna not gonna spoil it. But I, I do think I am most of the way through, just based on the way the story has been structured. I think I'm probably heading towards the final base confrontation thing. So pretty far through. I want to say that I have liked all the Halo games I've played. I haven't played like the non-FPS spinoffs like Halo Wars or Halo Spartan Assault. The rest of them I played, I liked them all. Five less than the others, but I liked them all. I want to say Infinite might be my favorite of them. Um, I think the just the way that the guns feel really good, which I know is a big thing for a first-person shooter. More importantly than that, this has, you know, it's got the halo magic of, like, the a, a really interesting mix of enemy types, like the grunts and the jackals and the elites and the brutes, all, like, mixed together in different configurations. They're all well enough designed that slight changes in the arena really change the way things feel. And you can you have a lot of ability to like change up your approaches just with different loadouts to change things too. Uh, as the game has gone on, there are some major bases in the open world that are a ton of fun because they are kind of a huge open-ended puzzle in terms of how you approach making your way through. But some of the late game set pieces also have just gotten tremendous in scope. And trying to figure out how to fight through them has been reminiscent of the things I liked most about Halo 1. I know this is something that was talked about, I think even in marketing materials that they, and, and a lot of reviews have talked about like the second level um, or, or the silent cartographer level in the first Halo game and like the open world design of Halo Infinite kind of calls back to that. But there are definitely levels uh, or areas in Halo Infinite that do make me think of some of my favorite areas in Halo 1. Um, where it's more of like a wide open battlefield and you can kind of see I, I think if I'm not remembering the original Halo was like started development as or it was at least at some point considered to make it more of like um, like a real-time strategy game in its design like a, like mm-hmm. a more wide open uh, more tactically intricate setup and you can see that in, in some of the stages in Halo Infinite and you can or, and or I was going to say Halo 1 and also in some parts of Halo Infinite too. Without spoiling the story, I think it's been good. I want to say I like Master Chief's characterization in this game more than in the previous Halos. I think you can really feel like the weight of past events and like in terms of the way the the voice actor carries himself. That's been really good and also, you know, the without going into the exact nature of a relationship between them you can it's pretty obvious that the weapon the ai is like supposed to be reminiscent of cortana and that character as the game has gone on she's she's more quippy than i would like (laughs) but i do like the the interplay between her and master chief i think she's got she's well performed she's the same voice actress as as cortana um, but she she's well performed. I like the pair. I actually like the pair more than I liked Chief and Cortana. I don't know if that's uh, like <laughs> blasphemous, blasphemous, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it feels they, like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner a bit with what they did to Cortana, and now they're like, "Well, how do we give them back Cortana without erasing what we did with Cortana?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because 
Yeah, I don't mind spoiling Halo 4 and 5. Cortana takes a like a enough of a heel turn that it's kind of impossible to walk that back. So they needed to figure out what to do with that. Without, without saying exactly what they do in Infinite, I do think they do a good job of handling that. I'm sure plenty of people are dissatisfied. But so far, it's been good. The, the one complaint I have about the story is I find the brutes, like the, the ape orc aliens, not that interesting. And so, like, because the main antagonist uh, is a brute just being, like... He's like a, he just comes across as like an Urukai from a Fellowship of the Ring, just like growling and snarling and I'm going to beat you up. That's like, I don't want to say he has no other motivation than that, but that's, that's the tone. I felt like he was supposed to be kind of like their uh, Thanos a little bit, but it was a little too obvious they were kind of going for that angle. Something about his design. Um, I'm nowhere near as far as Zach, but I have, I have been playing Halo Infinite. Um, I have not gotten to the open world part yet, but that whole intro is incredibly um, fascinating. The uh, grapple ability is very uh, is very well done. It's was, perfect, and the further you get, the better you, you get a grip on it, and you like realize, especially because you can upgrade it. Like it, it has a like a role in evasion, mobility, traversal, and combat. Yeah, I was telling. Zach, I think at this point, Zach didn't realize that um, you could actually increase your melee strength the further out you were when you use the grapple and drew yourself in. It actually can give you a more heft behind your blow to the enemy. And then um, in terms of Chief's characterization, at the beginning, there's a character that you meet who is basically like, okay, can't wait to go home. <laughs> I got a family, don't want to die. And Chief is like just doesn't care because chief knows his uh his he knows his role it's like you know i'm here to save everybody it doesn't matter if i'm the last one left and you're with me this is what we're supposed to do but i think it speaks a little bit to chief's kind of uh you know just the loneliness of his existence i mean his closest companion is a computer program and he doesn't even have that when the game starts and you know with the odds totally stacked against him He's still just like, if I'm the only one left, then I'm the only one left and I have to do what I have to do. And I, I always think that's that kind of thing is uh, cool to see play out sometimes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the pilot. That's, I think, the other thing I want to mention. I like that dynamic, too, between that pilot and mm -hmm. Master Chief. Because I, I think it's something that the other Halo games don't really have. Like, the other Halo games obviously do have other Spartan characters or non-Spartan human characters. But they're all, like, super competent military people. And so the dynamic reminds me kind of of like Superman doesn't seem as special if he's only hanging out around the Justice League as he does when he's hanging out with Jimmy Olsen. And it's not until this game that like Master Chief has had like a Jimmy Olsen that he's been paired with. The, like the, the contrast between the kind of normal, fearful, relatable everyman character that the pilot represents, the contrast between that and Master Chief does more to highlight and heighten how above and beyond master chief is i've always thought it's funny in the the halo games like the first game you have all the soldiers running around and you hear uh i don't remember if in the first game they're supposed to be persistent characters but like you'll hear at least one of them running around yelling in spanish and like i almost felt like in those that first game it was more like kind of just to be funny but it was still kind of cool because like it's this mixed little group 
And the the pilot character that you meet at the start of this game, he's Latino, and uh, you can hear it when he's talking. And I, don't know, I just thought that was kind of cool, you know. At least one of the like marine sidekick ambient characters in the earlier Halo games is played by David Cross, mm-hmm. who is a comedian. He he plays the Tobias Funke in Arrested Development. I'm sure you don't remember who that is, but that's okay. Anyhow, the, the point is like they actually hired at least one comedian for that role. So I, I think that's pretty clear that they were going for just laughs, jokes, but... yucks, tomfoolery. So, yeah. And then uh, quickly before I forget and we move on, uh, I have been exploring more in Forza Horizon 5. Um, so the incredibly annoying characters are still there, um, but they're not as intrusive. And so I've been doing races and kind of exploring the map and haven't been getting nauseated by them. And the game's <laughs> been a lot better ever since. But, you know, every once in a while, one of them pops in and is like, we really want you for this project. Go team. Like that kind of just like, oh, God, stop talking. You just got to deal with that in racing games. That's how it is. <laughs> I remember playing Burnout Paradise and having to put up with DJ Atomica or whatever his name was. God. <laughs> but I think we've been... <laughs> we would go for a while before getting to the topic. Um, it's important stuff that's been being played. I'm not. I'm not saying any of this should not have been included. Uh, but Angela, you you suggested this topic. I think it was a good one. Why don't you kick us off? All right. So I've mentioned how the Super Nintendo is my favorite console, uh, and I think probably the most formative. Uh, for my gaming tastes. Um, but it's also, uh, looking back, I've always thought it was very interesting how many licensed games came out of the 90s. Um, and I think we'll cut it off for for the purposes of this episode. It's like the early-ish 2000s. Um, but the, the 90s just had a, a lot of actually genuinely good licensed games i think that they ended up getting kind of a deservedly bad rap uh, as time went on um you know just crappy movie tie-ins um stuff that just wasn't good it was buggy it was clearly just a thrown together cash grab um you know just to push a movie or whatever um but i i think that i think that in the the subsequent years licensed games and particular ones especially have uh they've gotten more respect uh, and the respect that frankly a lot of them deserve but i think a lot of them go unremembered undiscussed because i think some people just kind of think they're pretty unremarkable um blips in video game history but i think it would be interesting to talk about some of these games um because a lot of them were just genuinely good uh, and and obviously everybody's idea of good is arbitrary. Um, I think there's a I think there's a baseline that everyone can kind of agree on. But all these games, you know, I'm sure there are going to be some that people remember and they're like, oh, no, I remember that game being really shitty, or you know, oh, you know, that was just okay. And then other games that people would will probably agree, like, oh yeah, that was great. People should talk about that game more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other things that made these games um, more memorable or more impressive than they would be just simply because of the music i have at least like one example on on the list where the music was a big part of of making that game it's interesting because a lot of 
a lot of licensed games, the visuals, it's it's a question of like how well do they execute what the source material was? Because almost without exception, I think you can find some exceptions. Like like there was a Lord of the Rings game for the Super Nintendo, I think, mm-hmm. which wasn't based on anything other than the book. So they mm-hmm. had like a kind of a bit of leeway in terms of how to represent things. Mm-hmm. But like if you're making a if you're making a Goof Troop game or you're making a Marvel superheroes game, mm-hmm. there's an idea of what it's supposed to look like, and it's just how well you execute it. Mm-hmm. But the music is much more open in terms of how it should sound or how yeah you know it's like that nes silver surfer game has a cult following uh for the soundtrack mm-hmm. and off the top of my head i don't remember who the composer is but if you read uh might be like tim fallen maybe um andrew Shartman uh wrote a book called super mario i think it was like super mario brothers soundtrack 33 and a third it's the 33 and a third series that bloomsbury i think is the name puts out and those books are all about like music but they did this one that was specifically about koji kondo's super mario soundtrack and uh sharpman spends a lot of time talking about um it's like from a pure like mechanical standpoint like i can read sheet music type of analysis um and he mentions that silver surfer soundtrack and he's going on and on about how incredibly well done it is but that game, it's like, what are you basing it off of? There's nothing, so, like, other than the comics, there's no Silver Surfer anything to really mm-hmm. go off of. It's also if you're a programmer or you're a game developer who maybe isn't that excited to be working on a licensed game, but it pays the bills. Like, music is a domain where you can really mm-hmm. go Get wild. creative. Yeah. Well, I've separated, and these are rough um, categories because some of them also kind of overlap. But, um, you know, I separated them into kind of larger categories of uh, movies, you know, games that are based off of movies or direct movie tie-ins. Um, I say based off of because some of them came out some years after the source material film. Um, licensed, which includes like Disney, um, stuff like the Power Rangers, the Ninja Turtles. You're looking more uh, like ongoing brands in this category? Yeah, or Cool Spot. Um R.I.P. Cool Spot. Uh, and then superheroes, because that's kind of its own huge category. Um, so I guess starting with like games that were based on on movies, um, I have two that really stick out in my mind a lot. Not because I beat them. I don't think I even got past <laughs> the first couple levels because I was a little, really little kid when I was playing these. But the Home Alone movie on on the SNES... And the Star Wars game, which I think was just called Star Wars, on NES. Mm. So my earlier memories are from Star Wars because I learned how to play video games on the NES. The SNES was already out. You know, I was born in 90. And then by the time I was able to hold a controller, Super Nintendo was already out. But I imagine Robert was probably playing the Super Nintendo. So the NES was what was available. And I just remember playing a lot of NES as a very little kid. And there are a lot of weird games, like weird, (laughs) uh, uh, eerie games on the NES. Like they have this strange, eerie feel. And one of them was Star Wars. It's borderline creepy. And maybe it's just in my memory that it's creepier than it really is. But even looking back at like screenshots and stuff, online was it like an adaptation of the first movie yeah yeah and like i remember um being really bored by like the the land speeder segments where it's a top-down view and you're driving along you know in your little land speeder and then you get you hit like a cave and then and then shifts to like um 
2D, kind of like um, Zelda 2 in that regard. Uh, but then like you're in weird caves and the caves are all creepy and it's a bizarre game. Hmm. Very bizarre. But I have these like distinct, clear memories of playing that game and not getting very far. <laughs> so. I don't remember that. I thought you were going to say the Super Nintendo Star Wars games because there was a set of three of them. We have yeah, Super, Super Star, Star Wars, Wars trilogy. We I, have all three of them. Okay, I remember hmm. playing Super Star Wars as well. Not as much for whatever reason <laughs> as the NES I remember, one. I remember me out. not thinking the Star Wars games were very good when I tried to play them. Hmm. They have, I think they kind of maybe punch above their weight for like cinematic appeal. Like they, they do try to like stick to the movies scene by scene, sort of. Like obviously it's a, it's like a big stage kind of 2D platformer. So that's only so accurate. Um, and you get to use a lightsaber and whatever, but I I remember just being kind of like unenthused by it. They might have just not been my style. I'm not sure. Hmm. I can't say much about them. <laughs> the Indiana Jones Super Nintendo game is actually pretty fun. Do we have it? Uh, we don't have it, but I have it uh, somewhere. Okay. I've played it, that's okay. all I'll say. But okay. uh, it, it's, uh, it's, I can't remember if it encompasses all three movies or not. It might. Hmm. But uh, that's another one that's like this interesting take because it like, it feels like Indiana Jones, but it's also very you know, video game and mm-hmm. kind of not. Mm-hmm. And that's how I remember the Super Star Wars trilogy feeling. Like it's mm-hmm. just this like crazy over the top take on everything. Um, and that was one where I can't remember if it was Game Genie, Game Genie codes or if it was Super or if it was uh, Nintendo Power codes. But I remember figuring out how to use the uh, thermal detonator over and over and that was always fun <laughs> blowing everything up you know going through the stages but using the lightsaber oh man that just felt so satisfying robert did you say you had the terminator game boy game i think i have it now i used to have it so one of my uncles had lent me like an entire box full of game boy games for a long time and the terminator game boy game was on there and if i'm remembering that's the one where i think you have a targeting reticule See, I'm confusing that and the Punisher one. It's one or the other. The Punisher one might be the one with the reticule. But there's been different Terminator games. We have a Terminator game on uh, the NES. It's Terminator 2. And that, oh my god. I can only remember getting to the chase in the, the canals in L.A. when John's on his little bike and never getting past it. That's as far as I ever got in that game. And I'd reboot it all the time. Get to that point, die, and then, oh, that's it. <laughs> was the Terminator game, which was the, the one game you said you remember our dad playing on the Game Boy? Oh, he would play Tetris. Tetris. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't Terminator, though he was fascinated that you, there was a Terminator game. <laughs> Do you, have either of you played Journey to Silius? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Do you know of that game? Didn't you just mention this in one of our podcasts, I thought? I don't know. Describe it. Uh, it is a NES game. Uh, side scroller i think there's like five stages total it's kind of like sci-fi themed and the music is famous for being excellent mm-hmm. um it's by sunsoft they're the ones who did like the batman game yeah gremlins 2 the new batch did Another... you say silius is based on a movie or something uh so it not as it came out but mm-hmm. uh it started development as a terminator movie oh really? or a terminator game hmm. yeah Okay. And so I think the character you're playing is kind of like a stand-in for Kyle Reese. Oh, okay. Okay. I've got to check it out. 
Well, I can't remember any other movie. Well, that, we didn't talk about Home Alone. Oh, you yeah. Just I, just did, I did just bring it up. Yeah, Home Alone was another one where I didn't get very far. I, I remember. Even... I remember only getting like a, two to three levels in and just not being able to get any further. But I just remember like the bright kind of vivid saturated colors extremely 90s like that game is very 90s and i think it was a side scroller um and i really think i only was gravitated towards it because i really liked home alone as a kid i mean i still like it now it's a great movie but um like i always liked kevin's house kevin's the whole fantasy of you know kevin just being able to do what he wanted and and, you know, the, the mac and cheese scene where he has a delicious looking mac and cheese. Like, I just, I just loved, I idolized Kevin You know what? Child. I like, I think Home Alone could probably support a really good video game now. I can, I can imagine it, like, you just, like, creating a trap house. And mm-hmm. I can see that doing well, like, on, on streams or on YouTube. And I think I could see people getting into that. But it was maybe, I don't know. I had no interest in back in the day. I don't know who... Who wanted a Home Alone game? Well, that's the thing. Like, that era... I mean, you go from the 70s into the early 80s, and then you have the oversaturation of the market and just the pure garbage games like E.T. that were coming out. Um, and everything crashes. And then you get the, the re- rebirth of the industry with Nintendo, but then it's way stronger than what was before. And... Then you go, you you have all these people who want back in, and all these Hollywood entities were just like make a game, make a game tie-in, you know, mm-hmm. t- for everything. Because mm-hmm. if you go and you like kind of Google tie-in games, it's amazing how many games there's a ton. We're back creating. to the future, Roger yeah. Rabbit. There's Jurassic a Dirty Harry game on NES. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Oh, we should track that down. <laughs> but it's it's crazy, and you know some of them are like properties that make more sense you know like uh um like the batman sunsoft game sure make a batman tie-in game but Mm -hmm. then like home alone like really like you know yeah um and then even cool spot like that's so random just Mm -hmm. like it's the mascot from the seven up bottle well this is this is a good segue into the license section and yeah cool before we move on there was a couple other things i want to say oh wow i didn't didn't even think i didn't think zach was interested sorry zach leaving me behind stepping all over me (laughs) again oops um did either of you ever play the adams family game no No. um so there was like fester's quest which i think would not count as a movie tie-in i think that came out before the raul julia movie um, which is weird if you think about mm-hmm. it, because like how big was the Adams family with kids at the time? Yeah. Um, but I remember playing, uh, renting and, and like just blasting through the first Adams family game. <laughs> um, it, I think you ever played Krusty's Funhouse? No. It feels like it was the same developer. I don't know if that's true. It's kind of a, I don't know how to describe the feeling of it. There's like, like kind of a puzzly element to it. A lot of, I don't know how to describe it. It does not carry the tone of either the Adams Family uh, comics or TV show or movie that it was prompted by. Um, but a perfectly fine game in its own right, if you want kind of like a crazy mansion-themed platformer. Hmm. Um, I, I mentioned just by name and passing Gremlins 2, the new batch by Sunsoft, which is a NES adaptation of the hit movie gremlins to the new batch um but i i knew about video games before i knew about movies so i saw that and i was like 
well, where's Gremlins 1, the game? It just doesn't exist, right? Um, and that actually makes me think of, uh, you guys know the movie Goonies? Yeah. Yeah. You know there's a Goonies game? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Goonies 2. Mm. The sequel to Goonies the movie is a video game called Goonies 2. Oh, weird. <laughs> now, there's also, I think, an arcade-only adaptation of Goonies the movie directly, but then there's a sequel to that. So it's it's this weird <laughs> transmedia franchise now where the sequel was an NES game. <laughs> weird. I remember the, the Matrix game that came out. Oh, man. I think that was... This counts as the early 2000s era because it was the one I wanted, I believe, was on PS2. Because that one, I think you could play as like Neo and maybe Trinity and Morpheus. But Mm -hmm. there was the second one that came out where you're playing as Niobe and the dude whose name I can't remember. That came to GameCube. I never got it. But I wanted especially that first one because it like seemed like this cool tie in to the Matrix. It's like the... The PS1 had an Episode 1 game. And man, when Star Wars Episode 1 came out, like that was a big deal in my child brain. And my friend had a PlayStation. And I remember he was able to get that tie-in game. And like at the time it looked super good. I just remember thinking, wow, it looks just like, you know, like the movie. Never got it. We got like the Naboo uh Starfighter game or whatever it was called. It was like basically Rogue Squadron, but with the Naboo f- ships and the Episode 1 planes. I'm like this is okay. Not as good as that. <laughs> well, one game that straddles the line between movie slash movie tie-in and licensed and is perhaps one of the best known ones and uh, highly regarded is Aladdin. Uh, we have yeah. it. On, we have it on the SNES. It's of course was also on the um, uh, the Genesis, um, but the Super Nintendo is the vastly superior version. I was incredibly happy when. Uh, I forget what the it's actually called. It's Disney something. But it has uh, Lion King and Aladdin in it. And for whatever reason, when the game first came out, it only had the Genesis version and the Game Boy version of Aladdin and didn't have the Capcom one on Super Nintendo. They have patched... Uh, they've updated the game since and have patched in the Aladdin Super Nintendo game along with... Uh, I think it's the Jungle Book, which... Whatever. It's fine. But that Aladdin game on Super Nintendo... Like, I remember between the two, the Genesis version had a bunch of hype because it was really graphically impressive for its, for the era. Um, but That's Virgin's whole thing, right? Yeah. The that, super slick graphics at the time. It was really... And it's, it's still really beautiful. I think, though, that the Super Nintendo version of Aladdin captures the spirit of Aladdin better. Because, like, the, the Genesis one, you're running around with a saber. And, like, but for maybe one scene in the movie, I think, Aladdin doesn't use weapons. Like, Aladdin's just athletic and gets away from everyone using his gymnastic abilities. And that's how the Super Nintendo game plays. Um, he even, like, his, his primary attack is, like, he'll jump on people or he'll throw apples at them to stun them. And, like, it, it, it perfectly complements the movie, I feel, by comparison. Yeah. And it looks good, too. It doesn't get enough credit for being a, a really well-made game mm-hmm. visually. Yeah. Um, of course, there's Batman Returns on Super Nintendo. Oh, That's I forgot all about that. That's a super fun brawler. Is so, that the one that starts in the snow? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it follows the path of the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Konami made that one. I think Konami can sometimes be underrated in terms of the quality brawlers that they make um, outside of the, the arcade games. Because like there's the X-Men arcade game, Simpsons, Turtles, which we'll probably get to. But uh, 
that Super Nintendo Batman Returns is really fun. It's like a final fight type of brawler. And it has these really big sprites for everybody. Uh, really beautifully rendered. Um, the combat's satisfying. Like, Batman, my favorite part of that game is running around grabbing bad guys and you can fling them into the background of the scene. And when you do that, parts of the background are destructible. So you'll see windows break and uh, pipes bend. Super entertaining. And of course, they made sure to include the... Uh, in the movie, Michael Keaton takes a couple bad guys. At the same time, one in each hand, and he smashes them together and, and flings them aside. You can do that in the game. I, re- I remember that. <laughs> yep. yep. That's, a, that's a really solid uh, licensed game. Well, going into uh, go i mean that's another one that's kind of some of these like i said they straddle multiple lines um but going into the licensed category um you know we already touched on some cool spot a little bit but such an unusual game um and a very very 90s thing to have yeah to have a, a mascot be the star of this platform uh platformer um it, it was it was fun it was actually challenging um Pretty sure it's a Chester Cheetah game, also. Is there? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like Chester Cheetah. Um, but one of uh, one of my favorite licensed games. I have plenty where you know, I'll talk about the gameplay. Now hold on one second. That's all the love we're giving Cool Spot. You can talk about School, school yeah, Spot. That's fine. If you want. Well, just briefly. Part of the allure of that game mm-hmm. is the size of the character, your miniature. Oh, yes. And everything around you is like giant, but it's, you know, you're in a tub or you're mm-hmm. on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, that game's so cool. Like, it really does look incredible, too. It pulls off the sense of scale really well. Yeah, it, it is a good looking game. Um, and things like hermit crabs are, mm-hmm. you know, are a threat to you. Or you can, uh, you could jump on bubbles, right? Yeah, you could bounce on bubbles. Yeah. Um, that's how small he's supposed to be. He had a weird little voice. I just remember yeah. kind of like a... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's super cute. Uh, his glasses would fall off. Um, so the idea is he's like life-size on the 7-Up can and he just peels himself off. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I don't even remember what the premise was. I know that you're saving other cool spots. But I don't remember what the story was. I just remember you're just going on this, this adventure. This is more questions than answers. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny thinking like that dev team. Mm-hmm. I mean, what even was the conversation? Mm-hmm. Like some Coke, or some Seven Eleven, the Seven Up executive just shows up and is like, well, "We want a game." Okay. Yeah. Go make it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. And just these guys sitting around like. So what the hell do we make? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he's tiny and he's running around shooting bubbles at people. It's, yeah. And <laughs> what is the direction here? Yeah. yeah, it's very much like a. I mean, you see this with licensed games where they kind of, in the absence of other information, tend towards whatever is popular, right? So, like having Batman be a beat em up, it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But there's like, like when they made a Popeye game in the early '80s, it was uh, like a Donkey Kong style single screen game, right? Um, and yeah, cool spot came out at a time when so many games were like mascot platformers where you just collect a hundred of whatever in a stage, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's like, well, how do we fit cool spot into that framework? Yeah. Um, an example of, uh, like we were, t- what we were talking about, how with a lot of licensed games, um, like for example, the composers are one of the only people who have any real kind of creative freedom, but, um, 
cool spot was an example of the whole thing is just like here's a dot that is a mascot do with him what you will <laughs> the music is making me think of that meme the, the meme about phil collins doing the soundtrack for tarzan yeah <laughs> disney executives just like yeah. like it's just like a movie about a guy with a bunch of gorillas lol <laughs> and then it's like <laughs> rocking out like ah like going intense, making like the most incredible soundtrack. People say like that soundtrack had no business being as good as it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I won't share my opinion on the Tarzan soundtrack. Yeah, Uh-oh. Zach's not a fan of Phil Collins or Genesis or. Um, no, but uh, one licensed game that I play a lot of growing up and and really I I think the draw of it is uh, the music. I think maybe more than anything is. Um, Magical Tetris Challenge on the Nintendo 64. Um, I was listening to some, some of that music in the kitchen some weeks back, and Zach came in, and he was, you know, kind of mocking me. He was a little disparaging, and he was like, this this music sounds like it's from, like, some Disney game. And I was like, it's exactly where it's from. However, it's not, like, you know, cutesy, like, Disney cartoon music. It's, like like a house dance soundtrack. Um, yeah, I thought it sounded like, <laughs> like Disney fied dance music. Yeah, and, and like Pete's theme, for example, is like totally that like dark kind of like bass heavy house stuff from the 90s, or like that weird kind of like whistle in between. Like <laughs> it's, it's a super great soundtrack. Um, the game itself wasn't like, very revolutionary in terms of Tetris gameplay from what I remember. I remember some gigantic pieces that would fall and I that was that unusual. I the only real difference was yeah. you had the weird big pieces that weren't normal Tetraminos. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, they were, they were like these massive chunks like, you know, that you would have to work with and of course it was really hard if um, you already were like half screen full. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the draw for that was for Disney fans, for people who are like really into like Mickey and Minnie and, the, and those Disney characters. Um, there was like a little story and, and the art actually was really nice, but it was it was the music that made that game. Um, and then I played a lot of uh, the Power Rangers, the first Power Rangers game on the Super Nintendo. Um, I played that to death. Like I just I played so much of it. I was always only ever the Yellow Ranger. Those are good Power Rangers, by the way, the original team. Yeah. Um, I would have categorized these under superheroes, personally. Hmm. You know, with the Turtles and all the Marvel and DC stuff. Hmm. I guess so. I, I mean, they are super... When I think of superheroes, I was thinking of, like, you know, Marvel and DC and stuff like that. Segregation, I see. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more to superheroes than Marvel and DC. No, I know. Baby. <laughs> I know. Because, um, like, you know, for example, where would you put the Sailor Moon game? On the Japanese only one on the Super Nintendo. Would you put it in license? Would you put them in superheroes? I don't know. So, again, like I said, some of these ca- some of these categories overlap. And isn't Chester Cheetah a superhero of sorts? No, he's not. Come no? On. Okay. <laughs> but the Power Rangers game, um, you know, not exactly like... Uh, a stellar example of like game design or anything like that but it's just a fun brawler sure it's a little repetitive you know with the clay people or whatever being kind of pretty much your only um enemies but uh that game also had some really good music uh it was just simple and fun 
I would say that the Tick game on the Super Nintendo falls into that category. Like, I remember playing the hell out of that game, and it's like the stages are so long. I tried to go. I tried to go back to that game not too long ago, and just remember. Is it over yet? Like, <laughs> is this stage done? It just keeps going. It's like the combat's pretty fun and it's rendered really well, but that game, man, those stages just would keep going. going For the going. sake of anyone listening who might be prompted to look into the Tick game, it is not very good. <laughs> it, is, it is one of the worst... 2D like brawler Says games. You. Look, I'll, I'll admit. I was there at the time. I was a big fan of the Tick. <laughs> I surely rented it from Blockbuster and was sorely disappointed at the quality of product that I received when I put that into my Super Nintendo. Anyway, I will admit my tolerance for repetitive brawlers is pretty high, and it might just be conditioning from childhood. But like, I had fun with the Tick. I had fun with the Power Rangers game. Um, but it was, it, that was kind of a weakness of a lot of these adaptations is they, so many of them just skewed towards, let's make it a brawler. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. it's a natural fit for like superheroes for sure. You just go beat the crap out of people. But, you know, some were better than others. Like if you're going to compare the tick to like the maximum carnage game, we'll get like, to maximum carnage later. Yeah. That's uh, uh yeah. yeah, that's a big difference there. Yeah. Hey, yeah. You were talking about a superhero. Whatever. Shut them down. Oops. (laughs) I must admit these walls are a little confusing to me, but it's all good. But I I think I remember other um, licensed games like um, uh, what were what were those? Not were they Chipmunks? Chippendale. Chippendale. Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. All the Disney ones. There's a ton of them. Capcom did most of them. And the Rescue Rangers one is another one that I just have a lot of, of memories of both playing. And also watching Robert play. I don't know why. I, I especially remember watching Robert play. Well, that's because you would Rescue have been Rangers. really small. Because yeah. the NES era, I would have been like, you know, whatever, seven or eight playing. Angela would have been like a little tiny toddler age kid. And those cats, see, this is what sucks about the licensed games is that some of them have been able to get a second chance at life. Like, I think the Chippendale games were republished as part of the... I think it was like the Disney Afternoon Collection or something. Um, I'll look it up. But the issue is that those licensing deals expire. The studios close in some cases. And you have this just web of legal trouble in terms of ever bringing some of these games back. And it sucks because some of them are legitimately like really good. Can you buy Goof Troop? Uh, I don't think you can buy Goof Troop. That was, uh, I think, the first game Shinji Mikami directed, right? Yep. And then the the Darkwing Duck game on NES has a lot of similarities to, like, Mega Man, but then also a little bit of Bionic Commando, because you can use, like, a grappling hook. What's the one that... I don't know if it was a... I thought it was maybe a re-release or remaster recently, but it has, like, Scrooge and the three ducks. DuckTales. DuckTales. Was that a remaster or a Yes, that was completely remastered. Way Forward did it, so Zach's rolling his eyes. (laughs) Um, that game was special when it came out because they reunited the voice cast to do it. And I remember, uh, a reviewer was complaining about it because they thought there was too much focus on the narrative, but I'm like, eh, I think you're missing the point. Part of it was not just bringing back that game from the NES era, but also bringing back those voice actors. Mm-hmm. But regardless, um... I agree with the reviewer. <laughs> DuckTales, uh, I think that was part of the Disney Afternoon Collection that I'm talking about. But then there's a bunch that are just lost to time. There's a bunch of these Warner Brother uh, cartoon games that 
Some of them were of mixed quality, but some of them were kind of fun to play and at least worth another shot at looking at, but you'll probably never see them again. There's like the Tasmanian Devil game, uh, Duck Dodgers. Wasn't the one game we had on Game Gear Tiny Toons? Uh, no, we had Ren and Stimpy on Tiny Toons, oh, uh, the game Ren here. And Stimpy, there was yeah. a Tiny Toons Adventures game on the NES that I want to say Konami made. Yes, Konami maybe? made those Tiny Toons games. There was two on the NES that I remember. And I want to say also like Treasure made one. That do, was Game Boy Advance. Do we have one on the Super Nintendo? We also have Ren yeah. and Stimpy on the Super Nintendo. There's two on the Super Nintendo, I think. Is But do we have a... Maybe the Tiny Toons game, I think it was the one on the NES. I just remember being... There's the Tiny Toons game on the Super Nintendo, Buster Bust Loose. That's, I think, what I'm thinking That's of. a pretty yeah. classic platformer, and that's yeah. another one you'll probably never see again. Never. Are there all the Simpsons games lost to history? Yeah, Good. I think they, they actually... <laughs> They're re- all terrible. Bart versus the Space Mutants. I remember the, liking the arcade Bart's Simpsons Nightmare. game. The Konami, oh, yeah, that one's good. The Konami yeah. arcade ones were cool, mm-hmm. and I think they actually... I swear I think the Konami Simpsons game was on PlayStation Network for a minute, and then they, de- they delisted it. Hmm. Was Bubsy an original char- character for a game, or was he licensed from something? He was original. It was original. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> An original tragedy. That, that DuckTales game, though, is actually... I think that's the best of them, of the, the Capcom mm-hmm. batch, mm-hmm. including Aladdin, The Little Mermaid... Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, Rescue Rangers. I do like that Rescue Rangers is co-op. And Darkwing Duck, yeah, I never really gave that a chance. Maybe it's great, whatever. <laughs> but I really like the the structure of DuckTales is really neat because you, you get to go through five stages and then you fight a last boss, but you win or lose or you get different endings based on how much money you've collected over the course of the, the game. So mm-hmm. there's like, it's interesting because like the, the high score matters more in DuckTales than in any other NES game. And that gave it like a higher effective skill ceiling than most games that are like suitable for, for kids, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I thought that was cool. The one other like really significant thing about, about DuckTales is the, the music and specifically for the moon stage. It's one of those five stages where you go exploring for treasure in the Amazon, in Transylvania, in the mines of Africa in uh, the Amazon and I said the Amazon, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? Himalayas and on the moon and the, the music on the moon just out of nowhere. Like it's like that Phil Collins meme you were talking about. <laughs> like there's no reason for the stage music for the moon in a licensed DuckTales video game to be so soulful, so sweet and so <laughs> affecting. Like for some reason, like you, if you, if you look for people's like list of favorite 8-bit music tracks, that's going to be up there alongside your Mario and your Zelda or whatever, like the moon from DuckTales specifically. It's a beautiful piece. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think the, the NES era especially, if you think of all the Atari ColecoVision stuff before it, you're making games that are like in the kilobytes and it's like <laughs> just these really archaic uh, ways of making games and the limitations are so much higher when you get to the NES era, I think as designers, they probably felt like really freed, even though it was still relatively constrained, especially compared to like the Super Nintendo even. So like these 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 designers are able to just like kind of start cutting loose, I think. And so they're doing these licensed games. And I don't think that the designers are probably looking at it like, well, 
we're making this game you know, for Disney. It's not really our game. So you're going to show up with just the most amazing music track and not really think of the fact that in like 20, 30 years, it's become almost throwaway, mm -hmm. except for the people who still have the game or who decided to put the music on YouTube. Like that track was made, could be probably as iconic as like Mario Brothers, but because it hasn't been released a, you know, a bunch of times over and over and over, it's kind of become you know, lost, but to a certain small crowd of gamers. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, before we move on from license, there's one that's an interesting license, which is Tetris Attack. Mm -hmm. So Tetris Attack was on Super Nintendo. It features the uh, Yoshi's Island cast mm -hmm. and has absolutely nothing to do with Tetris. Mm -hmm. And I believe that what it boiled down to was um, it's paneled upon. That's how it's known in Japan. And it had like a whole, I think, like mystical fairy girl thing going. Mm -hmm. You can actually play it right now on the Switch Online uh, SNES app. Some other versions are also called like Puzzle League, if that's recognizable to yes. anyone. I think Pokemon, Puzzle League is... Pokemon Puzzle League. Yes, so Puzzle League is what that mm -hmm. game's known as now in the West. Mm -hmm. But at the time, there was no, you know, American version. Mm -hmm. So Nintendo's like, well, it's fun. We don't think Americans are going to be interested in the fairy people we created throw Yoshi into it because Yoshi's Island was a big hit. Mm -hmm. But Nintendo wanted to rent some credibility. So they told the Tetris people, we want to use the name on here. We'll call it Tetris Attack. And I think Hank Rogers and uh, Alexei, the Russian guy, you know, the inventor of Tetris, they, I think, I think Hank was opposed to it. One of them was not really cool with it. They're just like, this isn't Tetris. And then they were like, yeah, but they're going to give us money. So let them do it. So that's a weird license right there where it's like just the name, basically. You know, two games that I played a lot of growing up. Um, I don't even remember the name of it, but it was a Hello Kitty like cube. Was it called Hello Kitty Cube Frenzy? I think it was called Hello Kitty Cube Frenzy on the Game Boy Color. And um, there were some Powerpuff Girls on the Game Boy Color. Powerpuff Girls games on the Game Boy Color. And I had the one that had uh, Buttercup on it. And I don't even remember what that one's called. But those were two that, because I was, you know, I've always been into Hello Kitty and Sanrio. And then I really liked the Powerpuff Girls when I was a kid. Um, I played a lot of those too. Um, well, we've talked about this between Angela and I that, like, these licensed games are more representative of our time growing up than some of the classic mm -hmm. Nintendo stuff. Because, yeah. like, that's what Linda would buy. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and our parents, too. Like, um, our parents had got me a... It's like a Looney Tunes game on the Game Boy. And I remember playing a lot of that one. Was that the one with the, uh, like, all the ladders and doors that you were going to? That, Bugs that, Bunny's Crazy Castle? That might have been it. It has Bugs Bunny on it. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually an interesting example because that... If that's the one, mm -hmm. um, but Bugs Bunny's Crazy Castle, the underlying game got reskinned so many times. Hmm. There's like a Dexter's Laboratory version of it, <laughs> I think. There's a, there might be a Snoopy version of it too. Like there's just like a ton of like mm -hmm. this. It's like here we can kind of came up with this framework for a puzzle game where you can like push blocks around and go into doors and whatever. And you know, yeah. you know, you actually just remind me of something. I have this game. And um, I don't really remember a lot about it, but you had been asking me about it. You asked me if I had Hamtaro's Ham Ham Heartbreak on the Game Boy <laughs> Advance. Um, did you play that game? 
I played one of the Hamtaro games on, I want to say it was Game Boy Advance, but I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I have that one, and I have some other Hamtaro game on um, the Game Boy Advance. Um, but yeah, uh, so Robert, I will defer to you on this. Would you consider the Turtles more licensed or more superhero? Oh, hmm. The Turtles aren't really superheroes. I'll say licensed. All right, so... He's wrong. Because there are a number of Turtle games to talk about. A number of them. Um, I remember playing the one on the NES. um, But I I remember playing it, but that one in particular, I remember watching Robert play more. And my most vivid memory is of the the beach walk, where there's like a boardwalk, and there are signs that foot soldiers like pop out from behind. Um... So I remember that one, uh, but again, I remember watching Robert play that one more than I did. Um, the Obviously, um, Turtles in Time, we played a ton of that. Robert, I think, can speak more to Turtles in Time. I definitely played it. I just, I know I didn't get as far as he did. Um, I remember getting to, like, the prehistoric level. Um, That's where I lose interest for some reason. Like, I, I, I like Turtles in Time. But I lose interest when it just becomes like a grab bag of historical periods. Mm. As soon as they go in time, mm-mm, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I will, here for the turtles. I will say turtles in time is stronger up into the Technodrome, mm. and then after that, like it's okay. Yeah, um, it's still fun, but the urban setting is where the turtles belong, mm-hmm. and it's it's the funner part of the game. Yeah, um, the turtles game that I play the most of, and it's a spinoff more than anything, is Tournament Fighters, uh, which Zach is rolling his eyes at. I love tournament fighters and that is a game that like, I think, I think it's soundtrack might be in my top 10, possibly might, might be my top 10 game sound, favorite game soundtracks. I don't love tournament fighters, but I will say it is a much better street fighter clone than the tick is <laughs> like a final fight clone. And I'll, I'll specify, even though it probably doesn't need specification. We're talking about the super Nintendo version. Cause there were other versions like the Genesis and whatever, but um, Wasn't that one on, on like NES even? Yeah, there's an NES mm-hmm. version of it. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, those yeah. Th- those first three turtle games on NES are cool. The first game's infamous because there's that underwater stage that's impossible <laughs> to beat. I remember getting to that point in, as a kid and having a lot of trouble with it. Um, but the second and third games are really fun. The second game is the is a port of the arcade game, and like it's nowhere near as you know, gorgeous looking as the arcade game, but for an NES game, it's pretty good. It also has some exclusive stages. Like there's some bosses and stages in the NES version that aren't in the uh, the arcade one, mm. which is the first game I can remember being like that, where like there wasn't a clear best version. I mean, the best version is the arcade version, but still, like there there was a leg up that the NES version had. Yeah, and then the the third one is the Manhattan Project, and that's the one mm-hmm. that has the boardwalk that Angela's thinking of, where you start off, and then eventually you're in the sky. Um, they're both really good. I would just argue that as brawlers, they're, they're nowhere near as elaborate as even like Final Fight. It's a lot simpler, the mechanics, but they're engaging, uh, have some really pretty pixel art, but Turtles in Time, like, man, so... This is Hyperstone Heist Erasure, and I will not stand for it. <laughs> we'll mention Hyperstone Heist, because uh, I played that one too. I, I still think that Turtles in Time is a superior game. I think, like, the music is better because just the sound chip on the 
Super Nintendo seems to be better than the Genesis one. Uh, but like visually, Turtles in Time is, is better than Hyperstone Heist as well. But they're both good games. Hyperstone Heist is this weird kind of like <sighs> kind of truncated version of Turtles in Time because it remixes enemies and stages and the stages run a little longer. Uh, but it's the same basic combat. Although, if I'm remembering correctly, I cannot remember if you can manually dash in Hyperstone Heist. And that's a deal breaker, if that if I'm remembering correctly. But Turtles in Time, so there's the arcade version and then there's the Super Nintendo version. I will go to my grave defending the Super Nintendo version as being the better one. Like the second Turtles game on NES, it has exclusive uh, stages and bosses like Toka and... Uh, Toka and Rezar from the second movie, the... Uh, Secret of the Ooze. Secret of the Ooze. They're in that game. Slash is in that game. Super Shredder. Um, just a cra- just an incredible assortment of their enemies. And then the gameplay. Like, I get frustrated with Turtles games to this day. Like, there's the game that's going to be coming out, Shredder's Revenge, I think. You know, I'm hoping it's going to be fun. But even that, I'm just looking at it and I'm like, anyone who makes a Turtles brawler, you sit them down with the Super Nintendo version of Turtles in Time and say, if it doesn't feel like this, don't bother. Like, everything's so perfect. You have this insane suite of attacks. You can dash, slide on the ground, cut enemies' feet out from under them. There's two different, three different versions of the jumping attack. You have a back attack. Uh, you, and then, of course, there's the classic throw the enemies into the screen, but you can also take enemies and just, like, slam them onto the ground left and right. It's just, it's just this insane assortment of the moves, and it's like this ballet of just chaotic fighting and action. And I'm like, so what if a, it's not this, why are you even bothering? What about... How much do you even know about the Shredder's Revenge game in terms of, like, well, the movesets? I'm not completely judging, but in what I've seen... It sounded like you were judging. The movement speed <laughs> looks slower. And that's one thing where I'm just like, okay, that doesn't mean it's not going to be good, but like, like the the move suite in Turtles in Time is what cements it on the Super Nintendo. Like, it's just brilliant. It's one of the most intricate things out there. You can do so much. The, um, the problem, though, for as much as the the movement options in Turtles in Time are fun, the enemy variety is just not great in turtles in time that is true it could stand to have more enemies and like even the foot soldiers themselves like you get like archers and and whatever but like you take them out all the same way and eventually some of the stone soldiers start to show up Mm -hmm. and they're okay they kind of help mix things up you have the mausers you have the uh i can never remember what they're called with these rolling robots with uh lasers on them but like ultimately it just it still doesn't feel like you have a lot of variety. The bosses do kind of help to mix things up a bit. But um that to this day remains my favorite turtle tie-in. Like there's some actually pretty good Game Boy Advance turtle games that Konami made. Ironically, Konami's the one that did all the ones we've just talked about. Um they came back and did uh, adaptations of the cartoon series from the 2000s. Those first two games I've gotten to play on the Game Boy Advance. There's a third one I haven't been able to touch yet. And then Ubisoft did a tie-in to the TMNT movie from... It was in the 2000s. It was the CGI one. That's actually another pretty fun brawler. But none of them get close to the quality of Turtles in Time. And then GameCube had some kind of fun uh, 3D brawler games with the 2000s version of the Turtles. There's a lot of turtle tie-ins, and they're all of like kind of mixed quality, but those are some of my favorites. 
Speaking of GameCube games, um, I remember you playing uh, the Lego Star Wars games when we were oh, growing yeah. up. Those are those are also really fun. Yeah. It's amazing how that whole, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that's the first game that the TT people made that was a licensed Lego game. I'm pretty sure it was the GameCube era, because I don't think it was just GameCube, but the Star Wars Lego game. And like it, it was interesting because clearly it has the Lego motif going on, but it was just a really fun Star Wars game. Mm -hmm. And it was really just entertaining going through and slaughtering all the different battle droids and whatever. Because if, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Lego Star Wars, that first one was based on the prequels. Yeah, I think it was based on the prequels. Yeah, because that would have been what was like popular at the time. But regardless, I've, those are really good. I've really never played any of the Lego games. I uh, I don't like what they represent for Lego. What does that mean? <laughs> Zach doesn't like the themed Lego sets. I don't like the themed Lego sets. Oh, yeah. right. You just you just want like space, you know? <laughs> the Arctic sets. Yeah, the Arctic sets. It's supposed to be more undefined, right? It's supposed to well, be. What do you think like, of the city sets that they have now? You know, like you can get like a bank or a store. Awesome. Yeah, those are the best. That's too specific. Oh. Oh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, the Lego games are cool, and then like as we've all seen, there's a million different ones now. Now I'm not making fun. I do not think crunch is acceptable in the industry. I just was kind of shocked when I was hearing that there was crunch going on at TT. <laughs> They're saying that. <laughs> And so this is so this is my thing. I went to that unveiling of the Skywalker saga or whatever it's called, the, the upcoming Lego Star Wars game, and we were in a little theater and they were showing it off. And Rise of Skywalker hadn't come out yet, and I remember the people doing the presentation were like, "Oh, can't show you any of this." Like it was that long ago. <laughs> and then they're talking about how the game's about to come out, but that like some of the former workers are saying they were crunching us, and I'm like, "Isn't there just a blueprint for these games at this point?" I mean. <laughs> No offense, they're they're very similar from game to game. Like that's what makes them the Lego games. Who's crunching for this? I think three years later. I think, Professor, you might need a little more sympathy and humility I'm, I'm as it comes to like the production of any. Maybe maybe George Lucas was standing there with whips, you know, whipping people. <laughs> Make me more they money. Let, they won't let me make the movies anymore, but I'll make the games. <laughs> make me more money. <laughs> Just speaking as someone who does have to write software for a living, you will often run into a situation where like a client or somebody in that position will be like, I just make this one small change. And like the faces of every developer in the room just like drops because they understand like how deep the changes they need to make are in order to facilitate what seems like a very simple thing. So well, can you imagine working for Ken Levine so where you, everything is just, oh yeah, you've been working for two years, throw it all away. Can you imagine, especially if you're dealing with a movie written by Mr. Mystery Box, J.J. Abrams, who's probably changing his mind while he's filming the movie, right? And then there's like some studio notes late in the game. It's like, oh, we need to throw out that whole stage, but now it's not going to be long enough to make our metrics, so we need to fabricate a whole stage or split this into two stages it's like have some damn sympathy for whatever the heck tt is and the poor developers that work there robert i just remembered 
What was that Star Wars game? I remember you and I making fun of it, where it was like Kyle the Jedi or oh, something. Jedi Outcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you don't want to make fun of it. Our podcast, you know, all of our 20 listeners, I'm sure that there's a power nerd sitting just going, are you making fun of Jedi Outcast? I will take the three of you down. <laughs> I will find you. I will dox you. Kyle Katarn or whatever his name is. His beard. I just remember us laughing. Like, I remember us actively, you playing it, me sitting and watching, and us laughing that his name was Kyle. Kyle the Jedi. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have have either of you had any other exposure to Star Wars and the quality of names in Star Wars, right? Like... there's, you know, you know, Leia. There's a Han. It, like one Boba of the other, one Chewbacca, of the other, like, famous, <laughs> One of the other famous Star Wars games has a protagonist named I want to say like Dash Rendar. Hey, that, that's a cool you name. Leave Dash Rendar alone. Shadows of the Empire you, was awesome. You don't get to make fun of Kyle. I'm Katarn. making fun of Kyle yeah. and his if if you're his infused whiskey that he makes on the weekends. Dash <laughs> Rendar. His, uh, his, his kombucha that he brews himself. Yeah, that's right. He totally looks like he's like got a bunch of bespoke crap at home. <laughs> Roasts his own coffee beans. But like, I, like that game, like the game's Sex fun. Medieval. <laughs> that game's fun. But like, I think you're. I know I was like kind of begrudgingly playing and thinking, "Wow, can you imagine if you were, you know, Luke with this <laughs> yeah. cool combat and lightsabers?" Instead, I'm, you know, Kyle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that game. Um, the Rogue Squadron games are awesome. Yeah, the N64 Rogue, Rogue Squadron's really well made. But then you get to the GameCube one, and it's just like, can we please re-release this? Like, this game still looks really freaking amazing. Like, that game was... When was the last time you played it? It has been a minute since I've played it. Because, like, I do remember when that came out, like, back in the GameCube era. That was before HDTVs, and I've only seen it on a CRT. Mm -hmm. And on a CRT, it absolutely does look incredible. But I wonder, like, how much the scenes would show. At the time, I do remember thinking, like, I can't believe a video game looks this good. Yeah, maybe I'll plug it in and we can talk about it next time we no, do this. No, it's okay. It was, it was oh more rhetorical. Because there's the third, uh, there's a third, the third Road sh- Rogue Squadron on GameCube, which I never got to play at the time. I ended up getting it from my uncle. That game doesn't get as much love, I think, because they put some un- on foot missions in there. But um, those are really good. There it's was the also Sonic Adventure treatment in reverse. <laughs> there was also the. Uh, the bounty hunter game where you're playing as oh, Django yeah. Fett. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that was pretty cool because <laughs> there was no Boba Fett, but you were Django. I was like, hey, Django's all right. <laughs> well, I think this is a good segue into superheroes, and this is—I'm actually kind of looking forward to the segment because there were a lot of bad, a lot of very bad. So we're not going to start this segment off with the good. We're going to start this segment <laughs> off with the bad. <laughs> and we're going to start this segment off with one of the baddest bads: Batman Dark Tomorrow. By Kemco. <laughs> so, I didn't even bother trying to play this game myself. I saw enough. <laughs> what was this on? The GameCube. Okay. Uh, I saw enough watching Robert struggle to get through it. I don't actually know if Robert managed to get past the first level. It is that unplayable. And I mean, we're talking about Robert. Like, it's not like this was like, you know, user error or, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. No. No, this game is almost literally unplayable. I just remember a lot of weird turning in place and and Batman just like oddly stiff. And then Robert trying to use the the grapple, you know, like the bat grapple thing. And (laughs) Batman 
kind of like lift his arm, shoot it up at whatever, uh, <laughs> and he'd grapple onto something. And then as soon as you'd try to like traverse a gap, all of a sudden he'd just go plummeting to his death because it was, it was unclear. Like, what do I do now? Like, okay, so I've grappled. How do I swing across this chasm? How do I swing from one building to another? Unclear. Unknown. I'm looking up screens. It doesn't look very good. I'm looking up reviews. It got a 3.5 from IGN. It has a 29% rating on Metacritic. Uh, Google users, 35% of them like this game. So, Camco is a small-time developer. Uh, They still make games. They specialize in doing uh, these kind of retro RPGs that you'll see a lot on... Like, Switch has a bunch of them. 3DS had some. I think they do a lot of mobile. Um, But back in the day, they had done other games. I think Chemco might have done a couple racing games at one point, but... I feel like this Batman license had to have been a big deal for them at the time <laughs> and just totally bombed. <laughs> like, it, somebody thought, let's give it Resident Evil tank controls <laughs> and this will be conducive to a Batman game. And it's just like, no, like, what are you doing? And uh, I think Angela covered it pretty perfectly. But the one thing I can give that game is it came with a small comic book, which was kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, and then a lot of people will praise the narrative. They'll say, you know, the story's okay. It actually is pretty properly Batman, but... I'm surprised anyone was able to get past the first level and know what the story was. <laughs> I think, man, if I remember correctly, I think I was at E3 one year, and Kemco had a booth. And they did not have, like, a big-time booth, like, you know, with decorations and stuff. They just had uh, their booth uh, over in the corner somewhere, and I had walked up and said hi to them. And they were surprised I knew them. And I swear, I think I mentioned Batman Dark Tomorrow. When <laughs> and they were like, oh. <laughs> like, oh, why are you bringing that up? Yeah. So it turns out that Kemko is the creator of the Crazy Castle series. Oh, yeah, that's oh. right. That's right. Coming yeah. full circle. Coming full circle. Bugs Bunny going up and downstairs. Well. It uh, all comes together. Well, um, I guess before... Well, you know what? No, we'll stick. We'll st- we'll stick with the bad games. We'll keep going with the bad games. There's, of course, and we've already discussed it, and everybody knows it. Superman sixty four. Oh man! What a mess! <laughs> I mentioned in the past how, <clears throat> obviously, I remember. I remember watching Robert play that game as as kids, and even as kids, we were making fun of how bad the water looked, and I remember like it just looked like a blue carpet. Um, and I remember us making fun Man, of that. this is coming from the two of you. Because <laughs> the only thing I've ever heard either of you say about water in a video game <laughs> is look how good that water looks. <laughs> yeah, well, this didn't. Nothing in this game looked good. And I mentioned in the past how um, <clears throat> I remember telling Robert at one point, because I think it's like maybe the beginning of the game. Um, you know, like Lex Luthor has this big, like black and white, like portal that he, you know, sucks Superman's friends through Lois Lane. And uh, what's that kid's name? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember the other guy's name. Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy. And like, we were talking about him earlier in this episode. Oh, were were we? Yeah. I was making the comparison between the pilot from Halo Infinite. Oh, and and Jimmy. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, Lex Luthor has them captured 
and they're standing in front of this portal, but the developers just used like stock art of these characters. They're not actual, um, you know, polygonal figures. Mm -hmm. So in front of this, what's supposed to be very scary portal that Lex Luthor is sucking his friends into, like there's Lois Lane and she's standing there with her hand on her hip, just posing. And, you know, Jimmy's, you know, posing and whatever, you know, like, hi, I'm Jimmy kind of pose. And I think there's a third person. And so it just looks so comically stupid and bad because they're supposed to be reacting. They're supposed to be like, no, you know, I don't want to go through the portal. Instead, it's just these stock images of them just standing there. There are a couple of famously bad superhero games on the NES, neither of which I've actually played, I don't think. Uh, LJN's X-Men game uh, just does not really feel like the X-Men at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Silver Surfer, which Robert mentioned earlier, uh, (laughs) is infamously terrible. Um, I I think the worst superhero game I've ever actually played, though, no offense, is The Tick. Hmm. Oh, man. That's uh, such ferocity. That's interesting. Was it really that bad? It's just there's there's no shortage of decent brawlers on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And it's just very disappointing in hmm. that in that light. Okay. Like the, if that had been the only brawler I'd ever played, I'd been like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. But I'd already played Final Fight and Streets of Rage and the Peacekeepers and Rival Turf and et cetera, et cetera. So hmm. Uh, before I forget, uh, back to Superman 64 for just oh, a second. Uh-huh. I wish I could remember who had written this, but <laughs> it's one of those things you don't think about at the time. But there's a, there, there's a point in the game where like you have to throw a car within a certain time limit, but like the game is counting down the timer as you're reading the instructions. <laughs> and then like once you go to throw the car, it's incredibly unclear exactly where it's supposed to go, I think. Like it just... What a nightmare <laughs> of a game. If flying, I'll give the game this much. The flying kind of felt pretty good. Like, you really did sort of feel cool soaring through the air, but what a catastrophe. Um, One of my very favorite games of all time um, is Marvel's War of the Gems. It has a longer name. Marvel Superheroes in War of the Gems or this something like that? This is specifically the Super Nintendo side-scroller, not the Capcom one-on-one fighter. That's correct, yeah. Also, and remember, you noob, you MCU noobs, it's not the Infinity Stones, it's the Infinity Gems. And I, oh I, I believe this this was also developed by Capcom, wasn't it? Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, it's a, I know Zach is no fan, and he constantly compares it to um, that Captain America game that he likes that I'm sure we'll talk about right after this, but... Um, <laughs> uh, it's a great game. It's super fun. And that's another one that's really driven by the music. It has a, a really good soundtrack. Um, and it's super fun. You know, you can play as, uh, let's see, there's Spidey, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk, and Wolverine. Um, and they all have, you know, different pros and cons. Um, Spidey was always my favorite. Spidey is my favorite Marvel character, but I also thought that he played... He played the best. Um, he also had this really cool pose. That was part of why I liked the game was that um, the characters, even the enemies, look cool. Like their sprite work or whatever you want to call it. Um, Spider-Man stands in this very, you know, there was that period of time, especially in the 90s, where <clears throat> it was really popular to draw him very spider-like. And so when he walks, he has this kind of more spider-like 
pose. Can you explain to the human beings in the audience what a spider-like pose is? <laughs> kind of no. crouch yes. and those arms sort of like uh, up at mm-hmm. an angle. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably so, wouldn't want to walk like that for long because your spine will snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wolverine, it was my second favorite <clears throat> character to play as. Uh, and he had this really cool move. Um, it was like a dash forward. And so you, you would hit the enemy and you would you would do this like multi multi hit, you know, like a do 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 do. Um it was really satisfying. Um and I also like the evil versions of the characters. It was funny because it was always like E dot, you know, Daredevil, E dot Iron Man. Oh, what's the E stand for? <laughs> <laughs> energetic. Yeah. <laughs> energetic. Um and uh it was cool, too, because Iron Man's in his modular armor, which 90s Iron Man fans will remember. And it's a good set I don't of care armor. for it. Speaking as a 90s Iron Man fan, I never uh-huh. liked the modular armor. I, thought, so I, cool. I think it looks cool. I also like, because at the end of, of each level, when you win, depending on who you're, you're playing as, this kind of comic uh, panel comes up with the characters that, you know, saying something triumphant. And I always thought Iron Man looked, that his armor looked really cool in that. Um, Gotta give a shout out, since we're talking about this game, to uh, X-Men... What was it called? Apocalypse? It's the other one made by Capcom, right? Yes, Mutant Apocalypse. Yeah, because that was also on my list. Uh, That game also has good music. Pretty sure it's the exact same engine as the uh, War of the Gems, because it's the same Wolverine sprites. But that one has Cyclops, Gambit, Beast, and Psylocke. It's it's not a huge roster, but it's a good roster. Yeah, I was like playing as Psylocke and uh, Gambit. Gambit, I, I think, is my second favorite. Isn't uh, that one more like each character has their own stage? Yeah. Versus in yeah. Uh, War of the Gems, where it's... Anyone can, can play any you stage. You can choose which character mm-hmm. you want to bring to that stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of prefer the optimization and choice of that mm-hmm. second approach, mm-hmm. but it's all good. But but yeah, it's, it's a solid uh, you know, final fight formula for brawling, which makes sense because Capcom makes final fight. I, I never liked the E Daredevil because I didn't like his weird like <coughs> banana hammock looking undies. It's <laughs> always weird. All right, um, weird thing to focus on. But... Uh, well, no, no, no. I just remember just thinking like it looks he, like it just looks like he's wearing like a, a mankini, and it's just not threatening. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like he has like devil horns because he's he's actually more like a devil than mm-hmm. a man. Um, evil Iron Man looks cool because he has like the very punk like spikes on his shoulders, uh-huh. like, like he could be at a like a punk show. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he looks cool. Um, but yeah, all the like evil different versions of, of characters are cool. Uh, that's a great game. The game Angela was referring to that you knew I liked was uh, by Data East, Captain America and the Avengers, uh, which might have been late 80s or like 1990 on the dot. It is a was an arcade game, four player co-op brawler, uh, much smaller sprites than these Capcom games, um, which I think is good because it lets you see more on the screen. But you can play as Captain America, Iron Man, The Vision, and Hawkeye, White Vision too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was White Vision. I thought I, that's where where I became acquainted with Vision. I thought it was very strange when he turned multicolored after <laughs> that. It's like what the hell happened? Uh, and it's a kind of like the the retro classic Iron Man look from the late '80s, where he's uh, you know red and gold, and he's got 
kind of like shoulder pauldrons. So for the comic nerds in the audience, <laughs> it's the armor he wears after his silver centurion suit. And before the war machine armor. Yep, that's yeah. right. You know, these games, uh, talking about these games always inevitably makes my mind go to uh, Marvel versus Capcom, um, which I only ever played growing up in the arcade. Um, we didn't have any of the console versions growing up. Um, but the the animation of, of those characters is really impressive and it's really good. Um, I, I specifically remember things like the way Gambit would do kind of almost like a cartwheel jump, I think. And he had a staff. Um, I think a lot of the sprites, like the at least the basis for the sprites of the inf- uh, War of the Gems and Mutant Apocalypse are taken from the Marvel vs. Capcom games. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. they had to be redrawn like for different resolutions, but clearly like the poses are all... Yeah, it's just the smoothness of, of those, uh, you know, it's not like the, the smoothness. Those Marvel vs. Capcom sprites. Yeah, so like there's Marvel vs. Capcom and there's like X-Men vs. Street Fighter and one other one that I'm forgetting. It but... started with Children of the Atom, right? And then yeah. there was Marvel superheroes and then they started doing the, the mixes of different... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, but that, by the time you get to Marvel vs. Capcom, especially Marvel vs. Capcom 2... Mm-hmm. God, those are like visually some of my favorite representations of all the Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. They just look so damn cool because it's like yes. this. It, it it skews a little bit towards the American style mm-hmm. of art, but then also infused with kind of like a manga style. Mm-hmm. They look so damn cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking like Marvel vs. Capcom three was pretty cool, but the 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 sprites it's in Marvel vs. Capcom two were the peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three looks better than Infinite. I think was the. Yeah, yeah, that's the last one. But yeah, I don't think 3 looks as good as 2 does. Part of the reason I liked playing those games in the arcade so much was because I thought the characters looked very cool. Um, I thought they were animated well. I thought they just looked super cool. Um, how, yeah. come, how come so many good licensed games came out of Capcom in the 90s? <laughs> I don't know. They you just know? knew what they were doing. Yeah. Well, speaking of good licensed games, yeah, even though we just covered a couple of what them. What a segue. Oh, before I forget, though, oh. I actually own a copy of Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Mm. It was a momentous occasion mm. at the GameStop in our in our town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had come in, and I don't remember who was working. It was somebody I'd become acquainted with, and they were like, we got a copy in of Marvel vs. Capcom. I was mm-hmm. like, you do? I was like, does it have the box? And they showed me, and the disc was a little rough, mm-hmm. but for that what, was hard system? to find for PS2. Mm-hmm. And I, I scooped that up. Yeah. <laughs> That was a good find. Sorry, continue. Oh, well. She's going to say Maximum Carnage, I'm sure. Indeed, I am. Maximum Carnage. Fantastic game um, with a pretty darn good soundtrack by Green Jello, um, which is funny because I wonder if Green Jello, I I mean, you know, I've never heard of Green Jello's actual non-Maximum Carnage music. Something tells me maybe they might still be best known for Maximum Carnage. Oh, I'm fairly certain that's where they peaked. <laughs> yeah, and so I wonder if that annoys them. If they're like, you know, we were more than Maximum Carnage. Kind of kind of, kind of like, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, me, a flock of seagulls. We were more than... Let me suggest that's Iran. maybe not where they peaked. And the two of you just have a very strange perspective because you have this particular Hey, this is why... Oh, come on. Let's face it. We know they're playing the county fair circuit. <laughs> like, this, this is why... If, I'm, if they're I'm all not even sure, alive like, county fair ranks under Maximum Maximum Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so look, Maximum Carnage is a really good game. I know Zach poo-poos it. He's not impressed with it. 
super cool. Especially too because, <laughs> especially too because once you get Venom. It, oh, it, yeah. You know, it's like, who do I want to play as more? Do I want to play as Spider-Man more? And they're both really satisfying, yes. too, because Venom's, like, a little heavier yeah. and more deliberate, but, like, you feel really powerful. Oh, yeah, like, you'll just do these, like, especially, too, when you when you pow- you get that, like, extra powerful move that, that eventually levels up. And, I mean, when, when Spider-Man does it, you know, he delivers this kind of almost, like, roundhouse punch, and it's super satisfying because it's, it's like a one, it's like an instant KO. When Venom does it, he's this block. He's this gigantic block of a man, and he does his power move, and it's just like this crazy, crazy strong move, and it's just really cool. How yeah, like he's just the way he smashes the ground, and then everything falls. Yeah. Like this is cool. Yeah. How long are the two of you gonna keep telling the same joke? Oh shit! Maximum carnage. Oh shut for? up! It just the maximum carnage being the being the joke, being the punchline. We're going back oh. to talking about Captain America and the Avengers just to wash the taste of maximum carnage out of my it's mouth. It's great. You guys hey, cut maximum me off. Carnage is awesome. You guys it's cut me cool. off when I was trying to talk about Captain America and the Avengers. Oh, did we? Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Go ahead. Horrible people. <laughs> it has just the best representation in a video game of like campy superhero stuff, like the same kind of vibe you get from like the old Batman show. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't uh, it have some little bit of voice clips? In it? Oh, the voice clips are the best. <laughs> yeah. Shield attack. That, so that's that's not from <laughs> Captain America and the Avengers. Uh, Captain America and the Avengers is like America still needs your help. That's like the continuous screen. Um, you know, there's something about those voice clips, like and you want and like some games will try to replicate that now and just don't do it right, but yeah. like. That's so video game. Oh, like, like in Tournament Fighters, Endless Screw. Yeah, or, uh, um, oh, God, there, there's just so many of them. Or like, one of them, like Turtle Combat? Uh, turtle that, Combat. That's at the beginning when you, when at the, from the start menu, yeah, Turtle Combat. Or uh, uh, Shredder. Some, and there's some, stuff that... Claw you, Crusher. Yeah, I was going to say, I, couldn't, I can't really remember what it is. Yeah, Claw Crusher. And he's all, like, roided out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Super Shredder. I think, it, is it Super Shredder in that game? No, but he's kind of got the vibe going. Or, he's just or is it, buff no, as hell. Isn't it, like, C Shredder? I thought it. I thought it was C dot Shredder in that mm, game. I'm not sure about that. I, I, I got I to gotta look it up. But. Stands for Seville. Listen, Zach. I know. <laughs> you know, I guess I had forgotten that the Avengers game wasn't made by uh, Konami. I thought they were both the same team because uh, there's the X-Men game that has all the different X-Men, X-Men you can play as, and it's on the double screen arcade cabinet. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought they were yeah, same developer, so developer, but no, apparently not. Capcom didn't make uh, a Punisher beat him up. No, not Capcom. I might have misspoke. I meant Konami. Konami made the X-Men game, arcade game. Yes, but Capcom made... Right. So, so Beta East, though, you said did the Avengers one? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's an older so one. So it was Cyber Shredder, or C Shredder, in Tournament Fighters. It's like Cyber. C. Shred. Hmm. Yeah. That Punisher uh, game is actually pretty good, unlike Maximum Carnage, for example. Like I played the, the Punisher no, Brawler. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. The, the, Genesis port is, the Genesis port is decent. The arcade version is probably better. Um, but it was part of that like long suite of Capcom beat up games they did. Final think, Fight and I think Alien the, vs. Predator and Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Oh I think the farthest I got in Maximum Carnage, because I've still never beat it, it gets difficult. Um, I think I got to the... Uh, um, I think there's like a stage in a club where you're like fighting on the dance floor of a club, and I think that's the farthest I've ever gotten. And I've told myself I want to beat that game. 
That's not very far. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like maybe the middle of the game. Well, that's still kind of far. That's a really cool intro, by the way, in yeah. that game. Because when yeah. you're in the club, it's called The Deep. Yeah. Uh, you start off not quite on the dance floor. And you can hear the thumping yes. music get louder as yeah. you approach. Yeah. Some of the production values in Maximum Carnage are very impressive. Like, mm -hmm. the visuals look kind of like a comic book. Mm -hmm. It's reminiscent of... Um, there's some really good open world Spidey games because I guess we're cutting it off early 2000s because otherwise we talk about like mm -hmm. Arkham uh, Arkham Asylum and even yeah. the PS4 Spidey. But no, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but like Spidey 2 on GameCube and PS2 and whatever uh, was a really like that set the benchmark for all the future Spider-Man games where it had this giant New York you could go through. Because before you had the Spidey 1 movie tie-in game and that was cool, but... It didn't have the wide open New York. Then the second game came, and you could actually swing through New York. But I remember um, they had come out with Ultimate Spider-Man, which was based on the comic, and they made a big deal out of how it had this like liquid uh, ink thing going on that was supposed to make the world feel like you were in a comic. Um, that was pretty cool. And Maximum Carnage kind of gives me those vibes. What's, I never... what's the what stage comes after, or what stage comes later? Is it the deep? Or is it that kind of, I think, like, autumnal colored, like, you're, you're supposed to be in, like, Central Park or something like that? I can't remember if that's before or after, but that's a super brief stage because okay. you, it's Venom fighting Shriek and uh, Doppelganger. Doppelganger, yeah. And uh, I think eventually Carnage steps in. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if that's before or after the deep, but they're very close to each other. Yeah, one of the two is, however, whichever one comes later. Is, Maybe. Yeah. I know you've also... Never beaten Marvel superheroes War of the Gems. No, I have not. The farthest I got there is like. I must strongly suggest that you focus that on first. that rather than. <laughs> I beaten that one too. Uh, I think that's the one where it ends with you fighting. I don't remember. I don't think you fight Thanos. I think you fight Magus or something like that. I don't no, remember if Mag Thanos is the final boss. Yeah, so. like Magus is at least the like the you beat the first set of stages, then you fight Magus. He gets away. You don't beat him completely, and then there's this, the second set of stages opens up, and that's as far as I've gotten. I've, I think okay. at the end you fight, like, Nebula and then Thanos. Okay. Okay. All right. Maybe I haven't beaten that one, Because it's a, it's, a, it's a mashup of some plot points of uh, Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity War. Mm -hmm. The uh, the X Men Legend ga Legends games are really good. Those set the stage for the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games that came, but those first couple of X Men Legends games were super cool because you had all these different X Men team members and uh, different costumes that you could put them in, and that was when the Ultimate Comics were in full swing. And I remember they had like their kind of Ultimate X Men uniforms. It looked super cool. What was that that um, fighting game we had on the GameCube? The X Men fighting game. Oh man, like. Destiny or something. I, I, I think so. I no, just, yeah, that game was rough. I just, yeah, I just remember, you know, feel the burn. Oh God, <laughs> terrible. Was Poor beat. woman having to read that line. She's thinking, well, it pays the rent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember separation anxiety being a disappointment, a disappointing follow up to Maximum Carnage. It just wasn't it's very as, good. It has a decent soundtrack, but it's not as good. Yeah, you know the uh, <laughs> we mentioned Batman Returns, which is a good brawler. Then there's the Batman Forever game on Super Nintendo, which, like, it kind of had those sort of Mortal Kombat-style graphics, or I think there was, like, some scanned-in people in costumes, maybe, but, man, that game was rough. But by comparison, you had the Batman animated series games, which were on uh, 
Super Nintendo and Genesis. They're both different from each other. They're both really good. Mm -hmm. The Super Nintendo one in particular looks a lot like the cartoon and has a lot of the vibe of it. It's it's incredible the job that Konami did with that one. Um, I think that's an underappreciated side-scroller. Well, I think this is probably a good point to end it. Because I think we've been going for like two hours now. Like, we could, we could really keep going, but... I mean, there's so many. I yeah, mean, it, it's truly... Um, it, it You can really go down a rabbit hole with this subject, which I kind of worried about when I, I proposed it. But, you know, I think maybe we should uh, end it here, I think. <laughs> it's a broad topic. We covered a lot of good ground. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Maybe we'll do a second part one day and pick it, off from here into the later years. Oh, yeah. I and actually, cover some of the stragglers that we forgot. Yeah. I was actually shaking his head. No. I It'll mean, come. I, there's, It'll be there's, season three. Yeah, there's a lot to cover. But, um, yeah, I think we unearthed, unearthed a lot of good memories. Um, Especially that Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I remember <laughs> the, the first one was on PSP. And, like, the PSP, when that thing came out, like, nobody had smartphones like they do now. Mm-hmm. And so if you were sitting somewhere... And you had that big-ass screen in your hand. People would notice. They'd mm-hmm. just be like, what is that? It's like, it's a PlayStation Portable. <laughs> and the cutscenes, it, it had the fully rendered cutscenes in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, the, the graphics themselves were pretty good. But, like, those cutscenes at the time were just mesmerizing. I remember, like, playing to get to the cutscenes. You're like, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see more of this giant screen full of these heroes. And <laughs> it's pretty awesome. All right. Well... Thanks for joining us, going on this, this journey, this deep dive into licensed games and all the, the different the different uh, categories those fall in. And uh, I guess with that, we will see you next time. <laughs>